So uh, this evening, I would like to look. So we looked at the contact, the feeling tone, and now I want to look at attention and perception. And the way I look at this, so, so these are basic functions. The way it's seen, it's kind of like a framework for the basic function of consciousness, you could say, the mind, plus the body, of course. And the way I would look at it in connection with what I talked about, grasping or creative engagement, is that we have all these functions, ability to, to be in touch, to be in contact, the ability to experience feeling tones, the ability to pay attention, the ability to perceive. So that's basic functioning. And I would see that we could look at that framework in two different ways. One way is that through the meditation practice, we actually help all these functions to become more creative function. And also so that we can develop them more into qualities that can really help us in our daily life. At the same time, each of these qualities can actually be, in a way you could say, intensified or grasped at, and then creating this amplification effect. And so that's why I kind of like to look a little at these two different angles, the developing aspect of this quality, of this function, of this possibility, and also that kind of like the, the grasping aspect that can happen with this function too. So the first one is attention. So it's just a fact that we have this ability to pay attention. We have the ability to focus. We have the ability, in a way, to notice something, to kind of, kind of uh, lay our attention on some point, and so that, in a way, we can examine it more. So we have that ability to do that, to focus on something, to apprehend something, and see it. And basically, this is part of what we're cultivating here, because attention, we are, that's actually, you could say, what we do when we try to focus, when we try to anchor. We're using that ability we have to pay attention, to rest upon something, to notice something, to apprehend something, and then we try to develop more. So we have this function, and then we try to develop in something which can be very helpful in many different ways. So I think then often uh, the term we use a lot in uh, terms of that, in terms of the practice, the term you use a lot is concentration. So you could say attention is a root of being able to concentrate. Then uh, you have been meditating for a few days, and at times you might have found that you were able to concentrate, to pay attention carefully, to remain present to the object, to what is going on. And at times you might have felt that you could not concentrate whatsoever. Or 
what you concentrated on was something else. Because in a way, when you go into a thought, or when you get entangled in a feeling, you are paying attention, but a kind of a different type of attention. So in a way, what is specific about this meditative attention, meditative concentration we're trying to develop? I think the first thing to see, and that's why I don't use the, the term concentrate, generally when I talk of anchoring, is because as soon as we say concentrate, we have a very interesting reaction to that term, concentrate. And often we are a child, you know, and we look all over the place, and we hear concentrate. So, and so we generally have this tensing and this narrowing when we think of concentration. And so, and it's true that you can find that also in terms of the meditative tradition, I think we could look at concentration in two different ways. Inclusive concentration and exclusive concentration. So sometimes we can be taught that when we sit in meditation, what we want to do is exclude everything but the object, the breath, the body, whatever. So then it's kind of, we spend our time just trying to be with the object and then pushing everything away. And at one level, this can work. But personally, why I do not generally recommend this technique is because I feel that for a little while, it really makes us tense because we're kind of trying to push away something which is naturally there. We're trying in a way to stop the mind to stop activity. And I think that, in a way, goes against kind of the naturalness of the organism. And so if we want to develop certain state of concentration, of course, we can do that. This, what I would call exclusive concentration. But it seems to me that for meditation in daily life, it will be maybe more useful to develop what I would call inclusive concentration, inclusive attention, which means that then you look more at the attention as anchoring, that it helps us to anchor. So we anchor in the breath, but within a wide open awareness, so you don't exclude anything. And then here what we try to do in a way is not be kind of so sticky to whatever arises. So we kind of here we are kind of you know, we're trying to play with the contact. Because at any given moment, we have all these six senses, lots of contact. And so it's easy to be taken by a sound, or suddenly, instead of paying attention to the breath, I'm paying attention to the past, or to the future, or to some sensation, or to whatever. And so in a way, he's saying, yes, these things arise. Because we have a body, we have a mind, we have the senses, we are in an environment, these things are going to arise. But if we anchor in an object, for example, then what we're going to do with this inclusive concentration, they try to create a climate where actually those things which appear are not going to be so sticky. 
And then how does that work? And to me, it works with the returning. So that actually we return, I would say, in two ways to the anchor. One way is, in a way, it's kind of like we see, for example, we are distracted. And as soon as we see it, we are back. So in the seeing of the distraction, we're already back to the breath. And generally, it's not so sticky, and so we stay a little bit with the anchor. And then we might go off again. Or sometimes, we kind of like in the middle of a kind of a juicy story or a fantastic daydream, and it's like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to go back. And then what is interesting there is are we going to go back because the daydream is bad or are we going to go back because we make the choice to come back to the breath because that's what we're trying to do right now. And I think this is a different movement because if you're saying, I must not think this, I must not think this, it generally does not work very well. But I think over time with the meditation, each time we come back to the anchor, each time we build the strength of making choices so that we're not so stuck in a way. And then we come back to a more an attention, which you could say is more spacious, has a little more freedom. I am not just engulfed by the contact. I can make the choice to follow the contact or not. And I think that's what really the meditation helps us to develop, not to stop the thought, but develop more what you could say the power of skillful choosing. Because, you know, if you have been daydreaming for the last hour, and you might have been daydreaming about this before, it's kind of like the questioning is, do I need to do this right now? Generally not. So in a way, it's kind of starting to, to look at the thought in a more, I would say, conditional way. Not, I have to think this thought no matter what, but more, hmm, I could or not. So there is a little more freedom within it. And I see the, the paying of attention, the anchoring, I see about that. Because when you return, when you come back, you could nearly say like four things are happening. One, you're not feeding the mental habits. Secondly, you're diminishing the power of the habits by not feeding it. Third, you come back to the creative functioning of the thought. And fourth, as I mentioned before, you come back to the whole experience. Because notice whenever we become, you know, we're stuck on one of the contact, on one of the senses, and then go into abstraction with it through the grasping and the amplification, then actually we reduce our vista to a thought, to a sensation, to a story. And generally, we, everything else disappears. To me, this is a way I noticed it many years ago. I was sitting in meditation, 
And it was, we were in a place where you could really hear the rain on the roof. So it was really, that day it was really pelting down with rain. And I noticed that when I was present to the breath or to the question, I could really hear the rain. But when I was lost in a daydream or somewhere else, I did not hear anything. Which means that my attention was actually very, you could say narrow, was really reduced. There is a whole experience which was kind of gone because I was so caught up in that abstraction. And to me, this is one of the important things in a way of the anchoring, of the returning, of the paying attention is that then we can pay attention to a wider experience. So we have that ability to pay attention. But, and we can of course develop it in meditation. But, and what is interesting is that often people will say, oh, I cannot concentrate. Meaning, I have lots of thought, it means I cannot concentrate. And so often people will have this impression, I am a person who cannot concentrate. But, personally, I think because we have that function of attention, we have a great potential for paying attention. Look, when you're obsessed with something, Let's say something happened at the office. Somebody said something, something happened, you're kind of you know, unhappy, things are difficult. I mean, it happened, it lasted, let's say, 10 minutes. Then you have to do your job, then you finish your job, then you come back home, and you think about it. You eat dinner, you think about it. You watch TV, you might forget a little bit about it, but still, during the ads, you think about it. Then you go to bed, you can't sleep because you think about it. But as a person asked to be in your head, you have the impression it's their fault. I mean, it's their fault they did something at one moment. But you are the one who is obsessing. So basically, what are you doing here? You could nearly say you are paying too much attention to one element of your, in your conditions. So you have great power of concentration. You could nearly say too great. And you just have to observe when suddenly you cannot stop thinking about something. That's concentration. <laughs> but it might not be helpful concentration. So this is one of the things we have to kind of look a little bit at is by paying attention to something, if some grasping is involved, then you can have an intensifying effect. And I think this is something we really have to be careful of. Like let's say you have a very difficult experience because something happened. You might have been really hurt or you feel all kind of difficult feeling, difficult thought. And you might think, oh, Great, I can be just mindful of this. But if you're mindful of this in terms of looking at how it changes, how it's conditioned, 
then that might bring space into it. But if you're mindful of it in such a way that you get sucked by it, then actually just looking at it will make it worse. Because there is that kind of narrowing of attention, which then has this intensifying effect. And it's what I would call the radar effect. And so I think this is something we have to be very careful of, to see that actually, yes, we can be too concentrated on something. And that can make it, in a way, have that amplifying effect. And so what is interesting there is that in one of the texts of, at the time of the Buddha, there are five methods to deal with difficult thought when you're sitting in meditation. And one of them is lack of attention. So the Buddha is not saying all the time, pay attention to things. He says, be wise, be compassionate. Sometimes if you have something difficult going on, if you pay attention to it, it will intensify it. And then what's better is lack of attention. So his example is turn away from it. And I think this is something, in a way, we need to look at. This kind of, when I pay attention, what happened? If I pay attention with this kind of looking deeply, then it can become spacious, it can become creative. But sometimes if I pay attention to certain things, actually it might have a more intensifying, amplifying effect. So in a way to notice what happened here with attention. And so now I like to look at the next one. And the next one is perception. And perception is basically the fact that things make sense, that things have meaning. We can, we can see things, we can understand them, we can make sense of them, also that we differentiate. So when we see things, we don't just see a jumble of color and shape, but generally we see, oh, that's a clock, this is a microphone, this is a piece of paper. So perception has, in a way, different kind of function, you could say, making sense, giving meaning, and also to differentiate. And then, of course, from that perception, you can actually, if you continue, if you develop it, you can develop wisdom. And also you can uh, develop judgment. And there is kind of a kind of narrow line, you could say, between judgment and between wisdom. And so we need to be able to, to judge. We need to be able to perceive. We need to be able to differentiate. But from differentiating, we can easily, you could say, discriminate. We can easily become judgmental to ourselves, to others. And also what is interesting with perception is 
what do I perceive? And is this a correct perception or an incorrect perception? That's an interesting thing because what's the meaning of this? What am I seeing? Am I seeing what I think I am seeing? Another thing which is interesting to look at is actually the connection with feeling tone and perception. This is very interesting, how perception can actually change feeling tone and can a feeling tone can change perception. So let's start possibly with that. So this is a, an old story of a friend many years ago, and he was a monk in Thailand. And so as a monk in Thailand, he went on Bindabat, which is to go begging with his boy. And so he used to go to one road, and there was a lady, very friendly, nice lady, who used to give him every time these very nice, crunchy nuggets. And he assumed they were nuts. And he thought they were quite tasty and nice, so every day he went and he got a little bit of these crunchy nuggets. And that gave rise to pleasant feeling tone. Until he asked what they were, and he was told they were fried insect, and after that he changed street, because <laughs> it obviously changed his perception, which obviously changed his feeling tone. So that's very interesting. We see something, and if we see that, then we'll have that feeling tone. But if the perception changes with the same thing, then we'll have a different feeling tone. I had the same experience in a few years back when the first time I went to the center in Austria and on the altar there had this very nice bouquet of lilies. And I thought, mm, that's very nice, very nice bouquet of lilies. So every day I would see them, so perception, bouquet of lilies, very nice, pleasant feeling tone. And after three days, they they were not changing at all. <laughs> so I became curious, these unchanging lilies, because I had thought they were the real thing. And then I went closer and I realized they were plastic. <laughs> and of course, immediately the feeling tone changed. Like when they were the real thing, let's say you had feeling tone number five, and when they are plastic, feeling tone number one. <laughs> and so again, is to see what are we perceiving and in a way what is a connection with the feeling tone, how it changes. This is something we can explore. Sometimes we don't think we see something and it's not very clear. I mean, there is a very famous example in the Buddhist tradition if you enter a room, it's a bit dark, you see kind of something which looks like a snake, and you feel, ah! and then you feel very frightened. And then you put the light on, and you see, oh, it's just a, co <coughs> it's just a coil of rope. And then, according to the perception, again, the feeling tone is very different. But I think we can also consider the fact that the feeling tone can change our perception. And I would say, especially, I mean, the pleasant feeling tone, if we feel really happy and everything is fine, and your friends say, oh, you know, that person, 
Oh la la, it's really difficult. She said, no, 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 it's wonderful, it's okay, you know, don't worry, you know, everything is fine. And then you might be in a bad mood, and if the friend comes again and says, that person, you know, is a really nice guy. You say, no way, the other day he did this, and he's a terrible person. And I mean, gossip is very interesting, because you can have people pleasant feeling tone, and then they might start to gossip in a, you could say, pleasant way. Or there is an unpleasant feeling tone, and suddenly you start to gossip in a very unpleasant way, which then kind of everybody amplify each other. And so in a way to notice in what way the feeling tone is going to impact my perception of myself, because we do the same to ourselves. Like if we have unpleasant feeling tone, we're much more likely to think we are terrible, we are stupid, we can't do anything. And when you have a more pleasant feeling tone, generally you will feel more confident, more able. So in a way, we are the same person. But according to the feeling tone, we have a very different perception of ourselves. But the same with others. According to our feeling tone, we might have a very different perception of others. So it's kind of, in a way, the thing with the mindfulness of this, what I'm talking about, the contact, the feeling tone, the attention, the perception, is to explore. It's to see, hmm, just to become more aware how, in a way, we have this capacity and how, in a way, they influence each other. The feeling tone and the perception, especially, really influence each other. So we're becoming more aware of that. So it's not stopping the perception, stopping the feeling tone, but seeing more, am I grasping here? And then I'm going to amplify that effect. Or am I creatively engaging with the feeling tone and the perception. So then there can be more choices, there can be more possibility. Another thing I wanted to look a little bit in terms of uh, perception was meaning. So it's through perception that in a way we give meaning to things. So we perceive them, and from that you have this recognition, this differentiation, and it makes sense. And so in a way you could say, through evolution, we become meaning-making machine. And this, again, it's kind of very important to see what's going on, to perceive what's going on, how am I feeling, what are the conditions. But Often, we go very fast in terms of giving meaning to things and then associating stories to that. And that's why one of the side practice we can do with the feeling tone is actually becoming aware of what I call feeling sensation. So sometimes, generally, we feel when we start to have like affective sensation, feeling sensation in the body. So 
you don't feel much. You are, let's say, relatively neutral. And then suddenly you feel something. You might feel something little, <gasps> or you might feel something little. <sighs> so you start to feel something inside the body. Generally, there is a place near the heart, in the belly, or in the neck, depending on how you feel these things. And generally, we feel a sensation which is a little different. Often, it's a sensation which possibly is a little unpleasant, or it can also be pleasant. It depends. And then, it has to have a meaning. Because if we feel something, it must have a meaning. And so generally, we go very quickly into, I feel a little like this. This is anxiety. I feel like that. This is anger. This is sadness. And then we generally go into proliferation of associating with the past or the future or amplifying. And so very quickly, in a way, we go into the abstraction of the experience. And what I think is interesting is, in terms of perception, when we start to feel this feeling sensation, what do I feel? Basically, at first, you feel a bit different. You feel a little strange. It might feel a little unpleasant. And I think before we go into the meaning of it and then the explanation of it and the reason for it, how does it feel? Can I be actually more with the experience of it? That then when you can use attention, attention to still, you are still perceiving what's going on. But with an attention, you're not rushing into the meaning and the extrapolation. And also then you can ask, how long is this going to last? How can I be with this before I amplify it in any way? And to me, this is something really useful in daily life, to just notice, how does it feel here? Can I be with it even if it's a little unpleasant? And to see that actually it shifts, it changes, it moves. And then often it just goes. I mean, sometimes it might stay more. And then in a way you kind of then can start to explore the condition. I was not feeling like this yesterday. Now I am feeling this. Sometimes you can find the causes. Sometimes you don't know. Once many years ago, I woke up and I felt blah, you could say. And I was like, not any great reason to be like that apart that. It was in winter in England, but <laughs> apart from that. And it was kind of, and I just observed it. Okay, oh, it's there. But I did not do anything with it. I did not identify. I just thought, oh, yeah, that's the way I feel. And then I observed how it would change, how it would come, how it would go. And then, you know, we see what made it shift. And it was actually really being with somebody else, really a, a moment of compassion kind of really shifted it by itself without me doing anything with it. And sometimes, so if it's kind of not too heavy, then we can actually just observe it. 
And of course, if it's really heavy, then it's kind of more intense. Then again, we have to see how can I creatively engage with this? Do I need to do this or take that or whatever? So I'm not saying just to observe it all the time. But if by observing it, you're not intensifying it, this is in a way the kind of the way to, to see that. If it's just there, and it just stays a little bit, the same goes, come back, then we can just observe it. If, in a way, the paying attention make it worse, then I would say not to pay attention to it in this way, but try to deal with it in another way. So that's what I wanted to say about this, about in terms of the feeling sensation, which can be interesting to look at in terms of the perception. And also to see, in connection to this kind of thing, how, in a way, the meditation can help us. Like, from a very young age, I used to be afraid of the dark. So I used to be quite, you know. And uh, when I was in Korea, we had to do this non-sleep week. And I did not mind not sleeping and sitting all night. This, I thought, was I had no trouble with it. My trouble with it was that I would go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and the bathroom was outside, and then I was going to have really very bad time, you know, walking in the dark at night, and I would kind of have anxiety. So I went to the master, and I said, Master, Master, what can I do, what can I do? And he said, go back to the question. Go back to what is this? I said, all right. And then I took it like a talisman. This was going to be like a magic. You know, it would protect me from the bad guy out there. So I started this non-sleep thing, and then I would go one o'clock in the morning in the bathroom. What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? Three o'clock in the morning. What is this? What is this? What is this? And actually, it worked. But it was not magic. What happened is that the what is this actually helped me back to attention, helped me to come back to the experience, to what really was going on. Because before, I used to go, ah, there is a guy outside with a knife. He's going to get me. And I really, my heart would go fast. And I was like that. And I could really see it, like perception, mega perception. But with the what is this, suddenly, in a way, the realization, I am in this Korean temple, in the middle of nowhere in the mountain. Who is going to know I am here to come and get me? <laughs> and so this, in a way, was like, de-amplifying the perception, de-amplifying the meaning of that kind of like unpleasant feeling tone, which turned into anxiety, which turned into fear. And so the last thing I like to mention in terms of perception is to see what we're trying to do in meditation, as I said before, 
is to reduce the self-centeredness. It doesn't mean that we're trying to reduce taking care of ourselves. But why, in a way, are we trying to reduce the self-centeredness to 50%? Actually, not only for our own sake, but for other people's sake. It goes both ways. Because, you see, if we are, I would say, too self-centered, you are basically thinking, feeling, and perceiving that I am the center of the universe. So basically, everything that happens is because of you. That the person does this, that the person says this, that this happened or that happened, it's because of me. And possibly we might realize over time through the meditation that I am the center of my universe, but I am not the center of the universe. And in a way, each person is the center of their universe. So when somebody does something, is it because of me or is it because of them? And so I think this is something, especially, for example, within listening meditation. And in listening meditation, what it can help us is listening to the word we hear. And so you hear a word. And what is a word? A word is a sonorous wave. Somebody said something, it's gone. But generally, we think this person said it because of me. And it must be true. So if the person say, I'm stupid, it's because of me, it must be true. But is it? Very likely, what they say is because of them. And so in a way, I would say to be careful with the perception, the perception of this is because of me. This is about me. And again, back to the choice. To see when somebody says something, is it about me or is it about them? When I used to, to live in a community many, many years ago, there was one day there was somebody who came to me and said, I'm fed up. I'm fed up with you. You organize us all the time. Stop it. And I thought, ah, I mean, it was not pleasant. But I thought, it's true. I like to organize. <laughs> but maybe I don't need to organize everybody all the time. <laughs> maybe there is a creative functioning, and I can use it there, and then not use it in place where it's not needed. And that's really made a big difference <laughs> to my relationships. <laughs> but then another time, I was uh, working with somebody, and then the person accused me of all kind of things. And I was like, everything he said was actually not true. It had nothing whatsoever to do with me. It just had to do with the fact that for whatever reason, the guy that time I decided he was not going to 
meet me, so he was going to give me a hard time so we would not meet. And I said to him, you know, if you don't want to meet me, that's okay, you know. And I did not identify because it was not true. It was not about me. So I think this is, in a way, perception. Is it kind of what I would call a creative perception? Or is it a self-centered perception? And so that, I think, can also be an interesting place to creatively engage with. So that's what I wanted to say today. So are there any questions or comments? Yes? Would you please give an example of creative engagement? I mean, they are so... You see, you can look at it in many different ways. I would say one way to, be, to creatively engage, the, the very simple one, is to actually go in the experience, for example, of a feeling sensation, and say, how long is it going to last? And if you do that, generally, you don't go into amplification. I mean, that's what I do a lot. Like, if something a little unpleasant happens, then I feel, there, and then I just observe. How long is this lasting? And then sometimes it goes five minutes, sometimes it lasts half an hour, then it goes, then when I think about it, it comes back, then another hour, and then it goes, even if I think about it. So to me, that's kind of like creative engagement. Or if I've, I mean, once I was um, suddenly, I had an attack of pain. And at such an attack of pain, I thought the pain was outside of me. It's like there was pain outside. Like it was all vibrating, and here too it was painful. So, of course, I thought I was at death door or something a little like that. But then I thought, wait a minute. Where is the pain exactly? So then I did a body scanning. Then I looked at the head, no pain. The neck, no pain. The arms, the torso, no pain. The feet, no pain. And then, oh yeah, the pain is in the hip. And it was very interesting from the pain being like this, within five minutes, it was actually, oh yeah, I have pain here. I can go to the osteopath or I can take some painkiller. And it was not like this amplified. So creative engagement is kind of trying to go inside the experience, in the changing or in the condition. Or it can be this moment. And this is, this is something I think can happen when we have a conversation with people, when we speak with people. When we have conversation, you can listen to the person and wait for them to stop. And think about what you're going to say, which is so much more interesting. Or you can listen to the person, you look in the right direction, but actually you're not listening, you're thinking of your shopping list. And when they ask you, you, you have no idea what they said. Or you can listen to the person and you amplify what they say. But to me, creative engagement with listening is to just listen to the person. You really totally, 100% listen. No preparation, no somewhere else, just listen. 
And if you do that, when they start, what you will say will generally be much more creative because it will respond to the situation at hand. And often you will be surprised. Oh, I didn't know I could think this or say this, etc. So that's what I meant. Yes. It seems to me the way I think it's, it's a point in terms of as a de-intensifier. I think it's really to see that there is this radar-like effect, that if we focus too much on something, then if we get caught within it, then we amplify. And so I would say lack of attention then actually creates space, and then you can go back to it better. That's why sometimes I think, you know, like if you have an argument with somebody, I mean, you can just Or you can say, oh, let's leave it for now, if it's possible, and then come back to it later, when both of you are a little less intense and amplified, and then there can be a possibility. So it's kind of, in a way, turning away lack of attention as de-amplification. I would I would look at it that way. Uh, there and there. Thank you. Um, I really enjoyed the kind of vividness of your descriptions of your feeling tones and your feeling states. It's really wonderful. And I wondered if you have any advice for looking closely at, as you say, within a sensory experience So tomorrow, tomorrow I will actually teach a method which is an interesting way to do it. The what is this? Because you see, that's what I did when I was in Korea for 10 years. Actually, I did not practice mindfulness meditation. I did actually this questioning meditation. And I found it had a very similar effect, actually. And so tomorrow we will do that. But I think in terms of, in a way, looking at this thing, I would say, is basically using the vipassana, losing, using looking deeply, which is just, in a way, trying to be more in tune with the experience of change at the, like you say, granular level, instead of going into the commenting. You see, the thing is that we go so fast, perception, meaning, commenting, associating. So then as soon as we go into the story of it, it's kind of hard to be in the granularity of it. And I think the practice we do is about that, being with the body, being with the feeling tone, being with the sensation, and just kind of cultivating and having the patience again and again and again. 
but also to see that there is what I would call the three levels. The light level, and that's easier to look at. And that's what I would recommend, to be more aware of that level, because generally we don't pay attention to it, because we are not really bothered by it, you could say. But that, I think, is you know, nearly the best level to work at. Then you have the habitual level. Things were a little more sticky, a little repetitive. And in becoming aware of that too, that though it's repetitive, it is not happening all the time. So it is happening upon certain conditions. So I think the repetitive are very interesting. So the light is very interesting in terms of change. How long does this last? How is it changing within itself? Repetitive is interesting in terms of what are the conditions that give rise to this. And then the third level is intense, is when something shocking has happened and you're like, oh. and then we have to accept that we're not going to stop it. And that because it's intense, it has to go through the system. And so there is different things, thought, feeling, sensation, which are going to happen. And then there, generally, I would recommend create space or lack of attention if you can. But create space because it's so there. So how can you create a little space, either by coming back to the breath or either going for a walk or talking to somebody or whatever it might be. So I think it's kind of with the three different levels of manifestation, I would do three different things, actually. Exactly. You see, this is, <laughs> this is a way I was trained. But to me, this is basically part of what Vipassana is about, looking deeply what I would call experiential inquiry. So turning towards something with that creativity, in a way. Because we have such a tendency to, to stick, to fix. It's like this. And here it's kind of saying, let's look at it. Let's explore it. Is it exactly like this? What is going on? So yeah, of course, basically, I'm talking a lot about vipassana, this kind of experiential inquiry, which is as important as, of course, paying attention. And we'll do it. We'll, there is one way to do it, and we'll do it tomorrow. And I'll explain this in detail. Now there is some uh, walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.